Listener supported. WNYC Studios. On Saturday, Leslie Gelb died at the age of 82. And what a life he had. A Senate aide in his 20s, a New York Times correspondent in his 30s, assistant secretary of state as he neared 40, and then back to the Times as national security correspondent, editor, columnist, part of a Pulitzer Prize-winning team, and rounding out his career as head of the Council on Foreign Relations. The son of Hungarian immigrants, storekeepers always strapped for cash. Gelb was described by George Packer in his recent book about Richard Holbrook as so poor that his bride Judy's parents refused to bless the marriage, and so smart that he got into Harvard's graduate school in government, and so badly educated that he had no idea what his teachers were talking about. Gelb, of course, was to go far beyond those teachers in his own experience, his own writing. But there remained something open and curious, something that resisted calcification about Gelb, even as his body failed. There are a few things more exhilarating than when someone who has seen and heard and participated in it all still considers your questions with respect, still counters your arguments with gusto, or even concedes a point or two because it matters. I had those experiences more than once with Gelb and a handful of conversations over the years, some for the radio, some not. And I feel a real sense of loss that there won't be any more. So, to commemorate the late and great Les Gelb, we'll replay the interview we had after the Ken Burns-Lynn Novick series The Vietnam War premiered and the Spielberg film The Post came out about the Washington Post and the Pentagon Papers. Ben, how are we supposed to comb through 4,000 pages? They're not even loosely organized. The had three months. There's yeah. no way we can possibly He's get right. this right. We got less than eight hours. Hey, 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 hey. For the last six years, we've been playing catch-up. And now, thanks to the President of the United States, who, by the way, has taken a all over the First Amendment, we have the goods. We don't have any competition. There's dozens of stories in here. The Times has barely scratched the surface. In the summer of 71, the New York Times was hit with an injunction barring it from printing any more scoops from the Pentagon Papers, the top-secret history of the Vietnam War leaked by analyst Daniel Ellsberg. But now, the Post had a copy. The Pentagon Papers, the momentous, monumental chronicle of government secrets and lies, was described last year in the sweeping 18-hour film series, The Vietnam War, by Ken Burns and Lynn Novick. 7,000 pages of highly classified documents and historical narrative, compiled secretly at the orders of former Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara. He had hoped a study of the decision-making process that had led the United States to become so deeply involved in Vietnam would help future policymakers avoid similar errors. Yet, Les Gelb isn't so sure the press got the right message from the Pentagon Papers, and he led the team that created them 50 years ago. What's more, he rarely gets the chance to set the record straight because researchers, they don't pick up the phone. The people behind the movie The Post didn't call. <laughs> the only one who came by really was Ken Burns. What did he ask you? 
He asked me about the origins of the Pentagon Papers, and I told him what they were, namely that we got a list from McNamara of 100 questions. Things like uh, what's happening in the field, how many of the enemy died. That's right, what's the body kill. Eight of the 100 questions were historical. I was given six people to work on these questions, and we were given two months to get them done. I collected the people. By the way, we were told not to tell anybody about this. We stared at the questions. We all started laughing. They said, why are we doing this? This is the kind of stuff we send up to the press secretary when we're preparing him to answer questions. Uh, And we're not going to be able to add anything to what we're doing on a daily basis. But some of the questions were bigger than that, Les. Uh, The questions included... Are we lying about the number killed in action? Yeah. Can we win this war? So how did the government feel about the war? I would say almost everybody in the government felt that the war was not going well, but a number felt there were ways to fight it better. There were very, very few people in the Pentagon or the State Department or the White House who were flat out against the war. Right. They believed in the domino theory. Essentially, that was it, that somehow if we lost a strategic place such as Berlin, we would lose Europe. And in fact, in one of the memos you'll see in the Pentagon Papers, the uh, State Department referred to Indochina as the Asian Berlin. (laughs) That's how central they thought it was to the future security and safety of the United States. Hard to believe, but that's what we thought. But why did McNamara ask you these questions if you were already given the best answers you could to the press secretary every day? uh, Why? To this day, I don't know. McNamara initially just said, answer those questions. Then after this group of six that I had assembled schmoozed about it for several days— we decided, well, you know, it might be interesting if we could look back into the files and maybe give more in-depth answers to the questions we had been answering more or less from our daily experience. And inevitably, you had to dip back into the history. We wrote up a list of about 20-some-odd monographs. Short papers. That's really what the Pentagon Papers is, a bunch of short papers. I sent the memo to McNamara, and he wrote on that memo... Okay, let it be encyclopedic and let the chips fall where they may. But we were still enjoined from telling people about it. The only ones who really knew were CIA, because McNamara called the head of the CIA, Richard Helms, and Helms shipped over to me an enormous quantity of these documents from the CIA. But uh, he never called Dean Rusk, the Secretary of State. He never called Walt Rostow, the National Security Advisor, or told Lyndon Johnson. The notion that this was a definitive history is just plain wrong, Brooke, because we didn't have that kind of access. And we never were allowed to do any interviews. Hmm. And you are a 30-year-old punk, pretty much, I was 30 years old. I was Director of Policy Planning in the Pentagon. And it was your team— who came up with the idea of writing these short papers, which became the Pentagon Papers, Ken Burns suggested, it's also suggested in the new film The Post, that McNamara 
commissioned this study as a cautionary tale for those who might follow in his footsteps. And so what do you think of that narrative? I think it's an explanation that Bob McNamara came up with after the fact. He told some people that he was doing this to save future leaders from making the same mistakes, and he told others who didn't like it. For example, he told Dean Rusk that he never asked for these studies. He just wanted a collection of documents. How long did it take? started in June of 67, finished in February 69. And when it was all done, you know, we had these 36 volumes, which very few people who have written about the Pentagon Papers, I assure you, have read. (laughs) And then I took the papers over to McNamara's office at the World Bank. He was head of the World Bank in February 69. I brought him into his office, and we're sitting around this coffee table having a little chat And then finally I said to him, would you like to see the papers? I opened up one of the boxes, handed him one of the monographs. He flipped through it like you flip through a deck of cards with his thumb, and he threw it back into the box, and he said, and I quote, take them back to the Pentagon. Do you think he ever read them? I have no idea. I spoke to him many times over the years, and I never asked him, and he never said He was replaced by Clark Clifford as Secretary of Defense, a very sort of blue-blood lawyer who had virtually no foreign policy experience. And by the way, we thought Clifford was sent to the Pentagon by Johnson to sit on people like us who had begun to ask questions about the war that the White House didn't like. Clark Clifford sensed this right away and laughed and said, you know, realize I've been against this war since 1965. What did he think of the domino theory? That was the reason why he became a dove in 65, long before the rest of us foreign policy experts caught in the trap of our thinking. Johnson had sent him to talk to the Asian leaders about sending more troops to fight the war, and none of them would give any troops. And so... Clifford said, I thought to myself, well, if the dominoes don't think they have to fight to save themselves, what the devil are we doing? By the time you were assembling what became the Pentagon Papers, it was already known to the Secretary of Defense and to the President, and possibly to you, if you were sending that information daily to the press secretary, that the war was not going to be won. Yeah, well, there were some people who thought it could be won. But not the president and not the secretary of defense. That's correct. And yet they felt they had to continue to send battalion after battalion into the field to die. No question about it. But I think Walt Rostow and Dean Russ continued to believe that we still could pull this out. But I think most people, by some time in 68, came more to believe that we couldn't afford to lose. They continued to send soldiers into it. Not to lose. To maintain a a strange balance of power in the world. The domino theory. A bankrupt notion, as it later came to be believed. But at the time, most people in government believed it. The story has been put out that the Pentagon Papers showed they were all lying. But while the papers show some lies... The main message is that our leaders from Truman onwards 
didn't know hardly anything about Vietnam and Indochina. They were ignorant. And it also shows that the foreign policy community believed that if we lost Vietnam, the rest of Asia would fall. And that was kind of a given. Here we're talking about all this stuff, and you know far more than the average informed person about the Pentagon Papers, and you're surprised by my answers. That's precisely why we called you, Les, because there are popular legends about the Pentagon Papers, and you think that they convey a false narrative. Now, you concede there was an enormous amount of lying about numbers, constant statements of optimism. There was the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Yeah, I didn't even know that, Brooke, by the way, on the Tonkin Gulf, until I saw the actual negatives of the pictures taken during the shooting. Contrast the story we were told and what you saw. What the American people were told in 1964 was that North Vietnamese boats attacked American ships in the uh, Tonkin Gulf area, and that our ships fired back. But what I found out when I actually saw the negatives of the pictures taken during that night that showed our ships firing huge guns and no small ships firing guns at us. I was astonished confusion in the Gulf of Tonkin initially, and later outright deception, enabled President Johnson to affect a huge escalation in that war. That's right. It provided the public justification. I would argue that you may underestimate the significance of the continuous lying throughout the conduct of that war. I don't think I underestimate the the lie. I know what it was, and I know who was doing it. But you think the media narrative about it is outsized? It's outsized based on the Pentagon Papers. Ellsberg created the myth that what the papers show is that it all was a bunch of lies. But the truth is, people actually believed in the war and were ignorant about what could and could not actually be done to do well in that war. That's what you see when you actually read the papers as opposed to talk about the papers. (laughs) (laughs) So essentially, a set of beliefs forced the government to continue to sacrifice thousands of men in order to get the enemy to the table, maybe. And Dixon negotiated for another four years or so before uh, he concluded the deal. And how many people died in that period? As many as died in all the years before. You know, the total, I think, is something like 58,000 deaths. And God knows how many lives ruined. And look, I wish I had turned against the war much sooner. Uh, And I regret it. You have no idea. idea. Uh, But eventually I did, and then I spent several years of my life fighting against the Nixon policy and for the early end of the war. But it was too late. So how did you feel back in 1971 when you discovered that the New York Times was about to publish the Pentagon Papers? That's a very good question because, to be perfectly frank, as I think I've been throughout this this (laughs) interview, my first instinct was that if they just hit the papers, people would think this was the definitive history of the war, which they were not. And that people would think it was all about lying 
rather than beliefs. And look, because we never learned that darn lesson about believing our way into these wars, we went into Afghanistan and we went into Iraq. And do you think that's why it's important to clarify what the real lesson of the Pentagon Papers is? Absolutely. You know, we get involved in these wars and we don't know a damn thing about those countries, the culture, the history, the politics, people on top, and even down below. And my heavens, these are not wars like World War II and World War I. We have battalions fighting battalions. These are wars that depend on knowledge of who the people are, what the culture is like. And we jumped into them without knowing. That's the damn essential message of the Pentagon Papers. Les, thank you very much. You're, you're very welcome. Yeah. It's so hard for people to swallow all this because of all these years of hearing the other story. You know, again, I don't deny the lies. I just want them to understand what the main points really were. That was Les Gelb, who died on Saturday at the age of 82. The show will miss him. I'll miss him. <laughs> 